Welcome to the Pessol, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Steve Jobs, but made in China. Now, let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome everybody to the Pessol. Today's show is brought to you by Black Gold Cooperative, turning oil into everything your heart desires at Black Gold Cooperative. Welcome everybody to the Pessol. I am Wes. And I'm Todd. And this is the movie podcast where we, as filmmakers, analyze and break apart films. And so do you, are you a fan of musicals? Do you watch a lot of musicals? Maybe two separate questions. No, <laughs> no, that's a loaded question. If I ever heard one from you, I hate musicals. We both hate musicals. That's part of that's part of the reason why we're doing this. But your right, your wife it's likes like musicals. The, Would you say she does? Uh, no, not really. I mean, she has seen more of them than me. Like she, she doesn't. She's not like outgoing and where she'll go look for them. But she, she doesn't like them. But she, she likes a good story. Hmm. If it makes her cry, she likes it. <laughs> Pretty much everything makes her cry. So. Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't think that she particularly loves musicals, but she doesn't avoid them. Like, you know, she doesn't yeah, yeah. Me, I personally can't stand them because most of the time they just lead you down this like long rabbit hole that they could take 2 minutes to say and instead they take, you know, 4 or 5, or 5 at least or 6 or whatever. So And they dance while yeah, they say musical, it. <laughs> And they dance while they say it, which is fine, I guess. Yeah. But, but yeah, yeah. So what about you? What are your feelings on them? Yeah, same. I grew up not watching a lot of musicals. The only one I really remember around the house was The Wizard of Oz, which my mom is a fanatic. And maybe that just turned me off yeah. point blank because it was just, it was on all the time. I mean, I think as she got older, she was able to, you know, as work got better she was able to buy things that she wanted finally you know the kids are out of the house and now she's got a oh, yeah. business mm -hmm. and and she started getting all these gifts and like buying weird stuff that is turned into like her office her home office is like this badly thrown up vomited uh wizard of oz shrine i mean it's just everywhere <laughs> so that's i'm that's just trying awesome. to paint a picture she was always that person um even before she had that stuff like and so we would watch wizard of oz all the time and i hated it so much why is there so much singing and and i just don't yeah. care about any of this uh and so I've never seen Grease. There's a lot of like staples, right? I've never seen The Sound of Music. I think I had to sit through West Side Story in in high school, right? As a part of some Shakespeare course or something. Because, um, yeah. right, it's kind of a retelling of Romeo and Juliet. Uh, right. Quote, unquote, modernized, which I yeah. would raise a flag <laughs> Spoiler to. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, yeah. So I just, I never, I, I hate it. Like I... Because it, I think yeah. you've said it before way better and I'm going to like butcher you right now uh, where it's like it combines the worst of acting and the worst of music <laughs> to tell it a really story. Does. Yeah. Uh, did I say that? Wow. That's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. No, that's it's exactly genius. It nails it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the biggest, the one of the biggest reasons why it, it not just like musicals in general, but just like music, especially music movies is that. Usually they don't get a musician to play the instrument, you know, or to be the the role, the lead role. 
usually we've talked about this ad nauseum when we did once. Mm. Uh, so if you if you haven't seen that episode, you should go watch that um, for our full thoughts on musical movies. But you know when you don't get a a real musician who knows how to hell even hold the damn instrument, much less play it, it's obvious painfully, and so you're completely taken out of it. And if and and then at the, on top of that, if they're not really singing, if they're ad libbing and they're or they're they're lip syncing and it just, you know, it's so obvious, not even to just a, not even to just a musician, but to anyone really, you know, like if you're, but I think that a lot of people who are not like, you know, very in, intuitive when it comes to, you know, movies and their experience in general, they might not even know what it means to be taken out of the film, mm-hmm. right? They just kind of like feel a little, a little off, right? I mean, nine out of 10 people that I talk to don't, can't even tell that their HDTV has that motion uh, plus setting on it that drives me freaking insane. And, and I, it blows my mind. I'm look, I'll look at a TV. I'm like, do do you see this? Unless you're watching football or baseball or or basketball or sports, it is the, the worst viewing experience you could have. And most people don't even see it. So that leads me to believe that a lot of times, you know, if, if you're watching a musical film and, their their voice is a little bit out of sync. I mean, just even slightly with the actual, you know, recorded track, you know, they might not really think, oh, I'm, I feel like I'm taken out of it because it's obvious that this person isn't singing. They might just think, they might not think anything. Mm-hmm. Who knows? You know, but for me, holy cow, like it is, I mean, that is, if you're doing a musical anything that is priority one. The person doing the musical role needs to be able to play the piano, play the guitar, sing, whatever it is they're supposed to do. They have to be able to do it or I'm out. You know what I mean? And then on, you know, and then on top of that, usually it's surrounded by bad story. You know, I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have a hard time and I'm, as you're talking, I'm even trying to put a finger on why I dislike them so much. And I think one of the things other than what you've already said is I really like human connection and, and dramas are my favorite genre. And I love music. I mean, I loved music more growing up than I did movies. Uh, and I love movies, but I just was obsessed with music. And with a musical, you don't have the same level of human connection because they're so busy performing and um, they're they're trying to let the, the music speak to the emotion of the moment uh, more than the performance and actual connection. And so I think that's one of the hardest parts for me to accept is uh, I can't really, you know, feel the, the performers in their role whenever I'm seeing musicians um, singing and dancing and, and performing for an audience. Um, that for me, I think is what makes it so strained and, and difficult to, to really sit still through a musical. Unless I think for me, the exceptions are if I'm actually in the audience, that's a, that's a great point, different experience entirely for me. Like I've saw, I saw a Miz a really long time. Actually, it was right after nine 11. I was in New York, uh, a few months after that. And, we took a break from doing what we were doing and when Saleh Miz and it was absolutely amazing. I was enthralled the entire time. Yeah. So I, because I think then whenever the, the immediacy of it, right, I'm able to connect with the performers, even if they're not still doing what I, you know, ideally want, 
the the beauty of live performance is in the connection with the audience and it, you know that's a reciprocal thing it's the performers connecting with them and feeding off the energy from the audience i know i've done you know stage performances before and as a performer you know that's everything and you've done probably a yeah. thousand live shows um if you haven't done a hundred thousand you know it's it's a completely different experience uh to be on stage than watching a live performance you know pre-recorded and, and trying to connect with that mm -hmm. um and you know which i don't think really shifts even with the movie <laughs> like even if you know we're obviously going to be talking about hamilton but uh even with musical movies like i still feel that disruption um whenever they slip out of the drama mode and go into musical mode i'm like there's this complete disconnection that i have to wait 30 40 you know 90 seconds before i'm in the wait new flow it. right wait for it. <laughs> it takes forever that's for a me. little foreshadowing yeah, yeah i get it yeah. but it does take forever for me to make that adjustment from oh okay we're singing now because yeah it's just really unless you build it uh like you know the movie you were talking about a minute ago unless you build it into the story um a musical cannot bridge that gap going from drama to music uh it, right it, it just can't happen yeah it's or if it can if it can i haven't seen it yes yeah, true true good point uh and with that uh today we are covering hamilton so you have not if you have not seen this uh it's on disney plus pause this episode go check it out and all three hours of it three and a half hours of it what is it 240 two hours, two hours 40, uh, yeah. 240 yeah yeah all 240 of it and uh and come back in and listen because we're gonna spoil some stuff we definitely will. Um, we'll talk about some of the live performances and uh, probably half of what I've already said about live performance. Um, we'll also talk about musicals, which we'll go further and the music specifically in Hamilton. And uh, I'm sure we'll have a lot of thoughts from Todd on the, you know, what he thinks about it um, and see where we, we land because I have thoughts on the music in a, in a number of ways. There's a lot of uh, lenses you can put on the music of Hamilton. Um, and I, I want to touch on that and other such stuff and things and stuff. So a quick synopsis. This is a story of the real life of one of America's foremost founding fathers and first secretary of the treasury, Alexander Hamilton, captured live on Broadway from the Richard Rogers Theater uh, with the original Broadway cast, directed by Thomas Cale, written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, based on the book by Ron Chernow, cinematography by Declan Quinn, starring Lin-Manuel Miranda as Alexander Hamilton, Leslie Odom Jr. as Aaron Burr, Philippa So as Eliza Hamilton, uh, Chris Jackson as George Washington, Renee Elise Goldsberry as Angelica Schuyler, David Diggs as Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, Anthony Ramos as John Lawrence and Philip Hamilton, and Jonathan Groff as King George. The word got around, they said this kid is insane, man. Took a book collection just to send him to the mainland. Get your education, don't forget from whence you came. And the world's gonna know your name. What's your name, man? Alexander Hamilton. My name is Alexander Hamilton. And there's a million things I haven't done. But just you wait, just you Sent thick, and Alex got better for his mother. Wait, quick. 
So what did you think? How did, did you enjoy this musical? <laughs> what did you on think? On a T-ball. <laughs> you like can't give it away on a T-ball. Uh, I mean, I, I, I've, I've, okay. I've seen it live. Um, a couple of years ago, I, my wife, uh, went to, uh, New York to visit a friend. I got her a ticket on Broadway and her friend a ticket on Broadway. Insanely expensive. Never. I mean, like I've never spent so much money on a ticket for anything in my entire life. Whatever you've bought for a ticket, triple that. And that's what I spent on one ticket. Yeah. It, I don't even want to tell you the dollar amount. It's stupid. But yeah, so she, she saw it once on Broadway. I saw it once live here in Austin, obviously not with Lin-Manuel and she didn't see it with Lin-Manuel because, you know, they only did it for the first couple of years. But then, uh, I've seen it on, uh, Disney plus like four times. Uh, it is to, I mean, to me, I mean, I'm just gonna, it is mind blowing for me in every way. Like I, I, uh, okay. Let me just preface this with years ago, before my wife ever saw it, right? One of the reasons I bought her a ticket is because she loved the soundtrack so much. Like she bought the soundtrack and would play it in the car constantly, right? So I knew almost every song, not every word, but almost every song before I saw it, before she saw it, right? So then when I actually got to see it live, a lot of stuff actually made more sense, you know, because it's hard in a soundtrack to a musical to know who's saying what. Like for the most part, I got it, but there were a few lines and a few, few things that were really important to know that, oh, Lafayette says this. Oh, uh, like, you know, I, I don't know. Aaron Burr says this and to know who the diff, you know, the difference is. Right. And so seeing it live made up, made a, a lot more sense, but just so to your point earlier about it being difficult to go from, you know, acting to the music or from the music back to acting, right? Like in between is like jarring and, and takes a while to get back into it. That's one of the reasons why this whole thing was music. Almost the entire mm. thing is music. Like there's a couple of, there's a couple of lines that are said not to music, but they're in between musical lines and they're very musical in, in their nature when they're said. In fact, it's almost like, it's almost like a comma in the middle of a sentence when, when that happens for the most part. So I'm never taken out of the music. I'm always expecting the music to continue. So I'm from, for me, I'm never taken out of it. Also the music specifically, let's just speak to the music before anything else. And I won't, I'm not going to go on a huge tirade here. Cause I want to, I want to get your thoughts. I really want to get your thoughts because I know that you are not a musical fan and I don't have any idea how much you liked or disliked this, but musically, it's absolutely incredible. I've never heard anything as good as this. Like from beginning to end, I cry at the beginning. I cry in the middle. I cry it. I am openly weeping at the very end. Like I cannot control myself. I find myself heaving because <laughs> I'm crying inside and filling up with tears before it explodes when, when she sees whatever happens at the end. Like it's, they don't even tell you what she sees. You know, you think you might think what you know what she sees. I might think something completely different, but they never say it. And Lynn Manuel never says it either. It, he's like, it's just, what do you think she sees? You know, at the end, I don't know. But that that moment when she burns the letters, when when uh, Philip dies, 
uh, like there are so many when uh, George Washington goes home, like all of these like steps down, all of these moments are like massive moments in our in our country's history or like either in our country's history or in his life. And I feel all of them. And the music is perfectly written. It's perfectly sung. These singers are unreal. Philippa So and uh, Brene Elise Goldsberry just melt my mind, melt my mind. And let me also uh, say Lin-Manuel spent five years writing this, maybe more, maybe six, and wrote every single song, every single song. Like, I I don't know if you've seen this, but there is a um, a breakdown of a, a song in here called Wait For It that's on Sound Exploder, which is on Netflix. If you haven't watched it, you should go watch it because he talks about writing that song and how he knew it was a pivotal song for Aaron Burr's character. Because the, the thing is, is like you can have a, a, a piece of history that you want to write and you want to tell the story. But it's it's hard to tell all of these little things and convey at the at the same time that you're trying to convey a personality, you're also trying to move the story along at the same time and not make it boring, especially when you're singing a three minute song. Right. Like it's so easy, like you and I know, for a a song to be out of place or like, oh, really, you needed another verse to tell me the same thing you told me in the first verse. Really? But I think. uh, a combination of a few things, a combination of that, that these performers are so freaking good. And I mean, they've been around the block. None of them, you know, are like super green. They've all been performers for a long time and they all had to audition like five times or something for this, for these roles. But it's a combination of them being so darn good at, at singing and dancing and performing and of cramming just like jamming so many words and so much content into those words like the the song where angelica sings about missing out on her chance to to be with hamilton there are so many little words that you will i guarantee you i don't care how close you listen or watch you did it you listened and watched super closely i don't care how how attentive you are you will miss a lot. But you know what? I don't mind that. I really don't. Because the first time you ever heard, like, I don't know, uh, a Buster Rhymes song, I mm. guarantee you, you didn't know every single word. You didn't hear every single word there. You had to listen to it five, ten times before you did. Now, it's not a two and two and a half hour song. I get it. But not every song is like that. There are certain songs that are. But it is, it's just so brilliantly crafted with these, with amazing rhymes and amazing words that you don't normally hear or you don't expect to hear. How's that? Anyway, the music is, is phenomenal. The dancing and the uh, is, is, is fine. You know, it is what it is. It's not super distracting. I love the set design. It's brilliant. All you, I mean, it almost never changes the entire time. And the, the floor has those turntables on it. A one in the middle and another one that spins the opposite way just outside. And the way they use that is just brilliant. Things like, like, and Hamilton s- says goodbye or something to Angelica and she f- rolls away as, as his wife Eliza rolls into his, ha- his arms. Like that's beautiful. It's brilliantly well done. 
Um, things like passing a letter around the entire space till it gets to Hamilton on the other side of the stage while they're singing. They don't waste a ton of time. And I'm, I'm sitting there watching it and I'm thinking, yes, it would be easier to watch if it was shorter, but I, it would be not as fulfilling for me. I, there's just, I, I'm so in love with every piece of music in this that I just don't ever want it to stop. Almost every single song I'm thinking, oh, I don't want that guy to stop singing. I don't want that guy to stop rapping. I don't want that girl to stop singing, especially if it's Angelica Schuyler. I don't want, you know, that guy, that kid to die. I don't like, no, don't shoot him, Aaron. Like, don't do it. You're going to regret it, you know? And then having a tying all that up with a moral that is, is prevalent throughout the entire movie, throughout the entire uh, musical. I mean, we talk about movies that do this so well that that have a motif that just it just beats the shit out of the motif throughout the whole movie it just comes back and it comes back and comes back and that happens here it happens so many lines i mean not throwing away my shot i'm coming home like it just all all the time i think there's probably four or five that they continually readdress throughout the whole the whole thing and he ties them in so he'll they'll be singing one song and he'll tie not throwing away my shot into the end of uh, George Washington's song. So it's that whole idea of taking, taking something that is so complicated because this story is so complicated and making it seem so simple that just makes it feel brilliant to me. Yeah. I have more to say, but I want to hear your take after I've kind of like spit uh, all of that. (laughs) I'm a little all over the place on the one Mm -hmm. hand. I mean, I do think it's brilliant, really, really well written. All the performances are absolutely fantastic. The, the story is there and it's hard to do perfect history, which this is not like, I know he fudged a lot of things like Jefferson. I don't believe was actually in France while the revolutionary war was happening, stuff like that. But I'm fine with that. Like you fudge a thing to, construct a narrative um and to help kind of uh propel i don't want to call them villains and heroes but uh to to kind of create tensions where there may have been tensions in real life like you're you you're trying to tell a dynamic story not just this isn't a history class and so for you know with that caveat they still did a really excellent job of setting the mood like you talked about with uh throw away your shot like i think that's such a great use of exposition and song which to be clear this entire movie is exposition and song um or this entire play uh but even within that like you still have to very efficiently construct analogies and to build character and establish uh your era and your setting because i think there's only one small sliver of a section in here where they're not singing i mean it's very very small um and i it's Aaron Burr, Leslie Odom, Leslie Odom Jr. kind of uh, setting up a scene. I mean, it's very quick and brief. It's probably all of like 10 seconds. Um, but for the other, you know, two hours and 39 minutes, uh, we're in singing and dancing mode. And so to be able to do that in a very efficient way. So like for not throwing away my shot, they're establishing two things there at the very same time, which is the state of America. Like America was a very different in a very different place in this era, right? This is a revolutionary war and a lot going on. And so if you don't understand that uh, already, if you're kind of walking in cold, like 
when when is alexander hamilton like help me and by just establishing you know the the country is young and hungry and that's very much you know like alexander hamilton himself like you're establishing so much you're you're rooting us in in the scene without giving us a very boring what the hell uh one second (laughs) (laughs) it's so dark let's come back i miss you back-to-back recordings and so without you know breaking the audience's uh attention with this boring kind of i don't want to call it like a, a text crawl but effectively like the year is 1775 alexander hamilton is sailing at a time when america is in this uh revolutionary whispers you know or whatever like it's there's Mm -hmm. a boring way to do it and there's an exciting captivating way to do it and they chose the latter and they did it you know expertly through uh obviously rap and hip-hop and uh, song and dance and uh even that opening number is really great i really loved like everyone is in white except for like burr and hamilton who are your key figures and it kind of gives us this heavenly feel while drawing your attention to who really matters like they all matter like you know there's several other george washington is there you know the the schuyler sisters are all there but everyone else is in white and so they're doing so many really intelligent things um and yet like at the same time i was exhausted because i like you said i was very much paying attention and trying to digest everything and i'm conflicted on the one hand like it's excellent storytelling in verse in rhyme but objectively from as someone who's been listening to rap since I was five, I wouldn't say it's like good rap in and of itself. It's great and excellent rap as a method of storytelling. Uh, but not necessarily if this was an album that just got released apropos of nothing, uh, this wouldn't have sold because it's just, it w- and to be fair, it wasn't meant to be like, it does well as a soundtrack because the music is really good. And if you love musicals, like it's still very, very good. It's very entertaining. And it's telling you a really good story uh, flawlessly through prose. But it's this is not the kind of thing that's going to appeal to the hip hop community. You know, again, apropos of nothing like you have to enjoy the the musical uh, to, you know, as a hip hop fan say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm really enjoying this. And so I was having this very big conflict within myself, like I'm sitting through a musical that isn't that's on a stage is pre-recorded it's over two and a half hours and it's in a, a form a medium that i love uh hip-hop in a in a medium that i hate uh musicals so like i was just all over the place but even within that like once you're in the flow and i will say my second time through i enjoyed it a lot more i didn't finish it it's playing in the background if you're watching us on youtube and you see me staring off it's not that i'm i'm bored with this show it's that i keep kind of sneaking a peek at the uh, at the at the musical the second half cuz i only got through the first hour and a half right through intermission and then we started recording um but i was having a much more i mean this is enjoyable time this is not something we're like watch, watching it without sound yeah. it's gonna be good yeah it's like it's, it's not it's not gonna be people yeah. in the dark it's, <laughs> not like a normal movie. it's just people yeah. in the dark yeah. um but the second time through i was enjoying it so much more because like you said like the words are popping out a lot better i wasn't sure if i wasn't you know super happy with the mix even though i will say this is probably the best mixed uh stage performance i've ever heard but even within that like you 
there's only so much you can do. It's still a stage performance. The mics are still, you know, six inches away at best. If that's, if they laid the, the, the mic in the hairline, um, some of them, like, I, I can't tell where Eliza's mic is. I, I think it might be in her dress. Uh, I don't see it in her hair. It's on their head. Well, it's not on everyone's head. head. I'm looking at her and I'm not seeing it on her head is what I'm saying. Like maybe it's on her head and they just really hit it well, but I was looking for it in her hair and I couldn't see it in her hair, but wherever it is, like it's not proper mic placement. Like you would be, you know, recording a normal, perfectly mixed soundtrack. And so even given that, you know, uh, whatever the, the handicap that they're working with, it's incredibly well mixed, like, holy crap. But generally, yeah, so I'm a little here and there in terms of uh, the music because, you know, storytelling does have a history in rap and not to say that every single rap song is is a story, but I mean very much in the way that they're doing storytelling in Hamilton. Like if you think of uh, Slick Rick, Lottie Dottie, right, or uh, Dana Dane, uh, Cinderfella, uh, even like Jay-Z and Nas do their own kind of storytelling songs here and there. Uh, not many, I want to say like Jay-Z probably did uh, uh, at least one. I know on Blueprint 2, uh, Meet the Parents, and I forget the one of the, the Nas song. It was on Stillmatic, but it's hard. It's really, really hard to tell a story in a rap song and and also make it like good rap and a compelling story like that's you're just asking you know for people to hit fast forward uh and so for for lin-manuel miranda to to do that for two and a half hours is astronomical while also factoring in the idea that he's he's telling multiple narratives he's has he has to give everything you know identifiable melodies uh and even identifiable character traits within the songs um like comparing king george is having to wear a completely different, not just, you know, the music itself, but his personality has to shine through, through word choice and cadence. And then, you know, George uh, Washington has to have his own power dynamic within his, that goes beyond just the the performer himself, right? It has to be performed within the music and the, the word choice. Like he's doing so many incredible things and I see it. And that makes, you know, even if, I wouldn't necessarily ever cue this up again. That has more to do with me than it absolutely has to do with me being able to recognize this is like a feat that he did. And it's worth every single accolade. It's worth all the sellouts, you know, people lining up around the block, praying <laughs> to God to get the, uh, the lotto, like all of it. It's, it's, yeah, I completely agree. Like you were saying, the, uh, the stage itself is genius. Um, I granted, I haven't seen that many musicals, um, or ballets and what they did with the floor itself was brilliant. And the way they used it to create like these walkways, like they set up these uh, lampposts so that you had this illusion of they're going on a walk. Brilliant. Like, uh, yeah. And the use of, uh, letting someone leave while someone else enters. Um, those are just really, really incredibly well thought out and designed, aspects of of this uh, and i can only imagine what it looks like now in 2020 because i'm sure every year they're kind of looking for a new little wrinkle to to make it pop and to to make it fresh again um, without destroying the idea of what people are showing up for uh, and i can only imagine how hard that is um but yeah. yeah and so i'm really really glad you you told me to watch it 
really good. Absolutely worth worth the time investment. And I probably will watch it at least one more time now that I have familiarity and I can actually kind of pick out the words and the story flows a little bit better. Like the first time through, I watched, uh, my favorite song, and I would say the only great song here, uh, which was Wait For It. Like I just loved it, but I couldn't, I didn't understand almost anything other than Wait For It. I'm willing to wait for it. And it's hard, man. It's hard. And I'll wrap that up uh, with this comment. It's almost impossible to make a musical with just actually great songs. Like I, I hesitate because I haven't seen enough musicals, but I would hesitate to say that any musical has uh, just an out and out great track. Like, holy crap, you made a great cut and it just happens to work within a musical. And I think Wait For It is certainly, I think that could, you know, live on its own. Um, and the only other one to my mind, and I really spent some time thinking I didn't like look it up, but I would say maybe Somewhere Over the Rainbow from Wizard of Oz probably lives on its own really, really well as its own song. Which one? Sorry, you broke up. Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Oh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah I think that lives on its own as its own song. And I struggled because I was thinking of, well, what other musicals do I know songs from? And I'm like, yeah, there's, there's some good, there's some really fun ones that work really well within the musical. Like Rent has that, I'm not going to, the number song, I'll just call it. Like, that's a really fun song. I don't know that it's great apart without Rent. This is the question I was kind of asking myself. Without Rent, is that a great song? I don't think so. I think it's a pretty good song. I don't know that it's a smash hit. Uh, I don't think Memories is a smash hit without Cats. And I was just kind of running through all these songs in my head uh, and I just didn't land on any, but I think wait for it sounds like a song that would have been on like Usher's first album, my way in whatever, 97, 98, like, or on like a LSG, Joel, uh, sweat Levert, uh, song, or maybe, uh, uh Brian mm-hmm. Knight. Like it has that kind of mel- melodic quality to it. it just has a beautiful gorgeous melody and the the message kind of stands on its own without really having to get into oh it's about hamilton blah blah, blah. It, don't, it doesn't really matter i think it plays really well as a melody and the performance is beautiful leslie Odom jr my god and i wouldn't have thought his voice would have lent so much to that song but psh, absolutely just crushed it yeah. so I don't know. Like if you want to sift through my debris that I just like. No, no, dude, I, I get all of it. I get all of it. And, you know, to this day, I, I war with that, um, that concept of, of could this song or this uh, track or whatever that you want to call it, could that stand on its own? And then I got to remind myself that it's not why it was written. Yeah. It wasn't written to be a single. Mm-hmm. None of these were written for that. So like, no, like, like, okay. Uh, let's compare, I don't know. Let's, let's, what's a track that there's a lot of words. I don't know, but let's, let's just call, let's just say my shot. Let's just say that that was, that that's a rap track and it was written for this. Well, let's, let's say Tupac wanted to write a song, write a, a, a rap track about Hamilton. Like that's okay. I'm sure you probably could. But a, I, I would argue that a lot of it would probably be, or some of it at least, would probably be a little bit cryptic because I think that in modern music, a lot of times 
there are at least one or two lines that are kind of a little bit ambiguous because just just for sheer fact of like wanting to be interesting mm -hmm. right or like raise questions or like thoughtfulness right but there's no time for that shit here like there is no like you, he can't have a line where you're like i don't really understand it mm -hmm. he can have a line where you got to think about it to get it you know but like nothing that leaves up to ambiguity yeah this it isn't the time to, to be, be abstract clear. yeah <laughs> right no every single line every mm -hmm. single word has to be clear and to the point and 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 push the narrative forward because it is the narrative right right so and i and sorry to be fair like i did i said all of that like this is serving a different master and a different purpose than trying like yeah you know you're saying like no i'm not talking but, over you but what i'm yo no totally but i would say the distinction would be even if you rewrote in the same style i don't think any of these songs are are would would still melodically speaking be able to make it as their own cuts like the the couplet styling in and of themselves you know because it because of that reason that we're talking about that it is serving a different master like there's just no way i don't see any other way uh or any way possible you know to to make most of these songs interesting enough uh to live on an album even if you of like, course distort it and, and switch things around because of that reason because yeah. yeah well they well they'd they'd make no sense i mean like each one is about something else like even in wait for it he talks about hamilton is in for an up an endless uphill climb like what the fuck does that mean if you don't have well it, i mean you know, mixed in with all the other tracks well, so. I'm, well i'm saying that the melody within wait for it would live on its own could make it as an actual song if you wanted to rewrite the lyrics still in the same exact tone and same exact uh rhythms it would live as on its own as a as a, as a uh, cut on an album um because of the melody and because mm -hmm. of the the styling of it whereas most of these other songs would have a very hard time standing out um on any album because of the 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 general style and the tone and uh the yeah. the rhyming style itself just doesn't really lend itself to anything other than what it was meant to do yeah i think with this like the this itch that this scratches for me is the the longing for an album mm. right like today we don't have albums anymore we've got singles and and uh eps and stuff stuff that like oh, it's great i'm not saying that music is totally bad today i'm just saying it's different you know we used to have records like full albums of music right where like Yes, you would have singles, of course, but, you know, if you put it in context with the whole record, all of a sudden the single isn't really as amazing as it was because the album is more amazing. I mean, okay, a good example would be U2 Live from Red Rocks. That was the first cassette tape I was ever given. And I mean, I didn't know what a single was, but the entire thing from beginning to end just melted my brain. And then I heard you know, Sunday, bloody Sunday on the radio and stuff. I'm like, you guys don't have any idea. What about Gloria? You guys, you know, you haven't like listened to the album, you know, and, but the, you don't have that today. Usually no. it's mostly like singles. So this though, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for, I don't know, satisfied. And then after satisfied, I'm waiting for nonstop. And then I'm waiting for, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, what did we just say? Wait for it. You know, like there's all of, like or this next track will come on. I'm like, oh yeah, this is great because she says this and he does that and whatever. And so it's this whole feeling of getting to go through the process of a whole album. And I think also I'm a I'm a little bit biased more so than you because I've listened to it so much more, bro. Yeah. Like yeah. Like I mean, for 
probably two years on on an album. I mean, she had it a year before she went to see it in New York. And then that's been two years since then. So like, yes, I've, I've known about Hamilton and listened to it for three or four years now. So well-versed in, in it. And I, so that, that's why I totally agree with you. And I think that, that that's one of the reasons I love it because of that, you know, as opposed to despite it. Right. I mean, there are some moments also that I want to call out that just make me fall in love with it a little bit more. And then we'll get into your points. Some, okay. I think a lot of times when you watch a play, and I'm going to compare this to a play, even though it's a musical, it is a musical, but I'm just going to like get the music, let the music mm-hmm. go for just a second because, because I love it so much and I don't want to lump it into musicals. But it is still a stage play. I, yeah. 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 Exactly. Thank you. Um, there are so many brilliant things about plays in general right? Like the staging of the play, right? The the production of the play, like where are you standing when she says this and what do you do physically, right? Or where is this thing at this moment and where is it going to be at that other moment when it comes back and you see it some other time and the positioning of things and, and, and how to make the most of space because you have a very limited amount of space and even the space that you have is even more limited, right? Because the human eye can only look at one thing, focus on one thing at a time. You see, you know, 180 degrees, but you can, I'm literally only looking at you right now, but I see my entire computer screen like there, you know, so it, the knowledge of people can only, the 1300 people in the audience can only look at one thing at, at the time, at a time. So we have to be able to direct their vision. But at the same time, if they look anywhere else in the stage, they can be entertained still. Right. And they and maybe not every moment, but a lot, the important moments. And they they handle that space so well. You know, you they have that bottom layer, uh, that bottom level. And then they have the stairs up one side that goes up the top in the rafters and then to the to the other side. They have a backstage behind this back wall. They have doors, on two doors on each side um, where people can come in and out of. And so they're they're able to shift people in and out. And at random times without you even realizing and then slide them out of the way by using lighting, right? Mm. So if they focus the lighting in the center, then the lighting on the outside gets darker and they can either bring people in or out without people. I mean, you might notice it if you look at it, but your gaze is focused on where the light is, right? So they they do that really well. But other things in the actual production. So my most favorite moment Besides the the finale, besides that final movement that I, I literally lose my breath. I cannot breathe in that moment when I watch that. But besides that moment is when Burr shoots Hamilton and that, that woman comes out and acts as the bullet. Yeah. She catches the bullet and it stops time or slows down time. And, and it gives not only that, but then the balls or the the foresight because when they were actually doing this production they didn't have a finale yet he hadn't written the finale when they were working on the production he he didn't know how to do it he didn't know where it was going to go or like you know you've already done wait for it you've already done all of these great numbers that are that are defining moments of your character and now your main character is going to die you know like the the mindset of him being able to put himself into the mindset of that human being and what might happen is just brilliant by taking all the music out. Everything goes silent 
and still. And then he acapella revisits all of the moments of the, of the actual musical. And the, not just all of the, all of the songs, but all of the important moments, rise up, rise up, Eliza, like hmm. it just, um, it gives me chills even thinking about it because of, of not only do you have to have the foresight of be, being able to put yourself in the position of somebody who is getting shot and knows that they're going to die the split second. I mean, we're talking the nanosecond before you get hit. You know it's happening because he's got his hand in, in the air and he sees Burr and Burr does not. So in that moment, he just realizes and his life flashes before his eyes and his life is this musical. So we're, hmm. he just, he, but it's quiet. Everything is quiet. And so having the foresight to do that is just brilliant. Absolutely loved it. Um, uh, it just takes my breath away completely. And then focus after that, focusing on, on Burr and his just, we get to see this guy who his character has developed so well for me that I, I, I love him. I, you know, he's not the villain. Like he's a dude who just had a different approach to his life. His life meant, meant I'm going to bide my time until I have my moment. I'm going to wait for it. My moment's coming. I'm going to wait for it. Right. And Hamilton was opposite. Hamilton took his life by the balls and you know, in his instance, in his circumstance, it was beneficial. And in Burr's, it was still beneficial, but not to the point that that he was happy. But he realizes at the end, the world was wide enough for Hamilton and me. The whole, this whole time, he takes his, this whole huge arch of, I'm happy with, with, with waiting for it. I'm frustrated that now I'm frustrated that this guy isn't waiting for it and he's getting something. Now I'm pissed off that he's in, and I'm angry. And now I realize that it would have been okay. I would have been okay. Like just is just fantastic. And then the other aspect, and I'll stop so you can, you, we can go into your notes, but the other thing that I absolutely loved was the moment that I think we talked about earlier where, uh, what's, what's her name? Uh, Angelica. Thank you. And where Angelica is doing the toast and the whole rewind happens where she talks about, cause there is no, and I've watched this so many, like multiple times. There is no insinuation when she goes to get Hamilton for Eliza. There's no insinuation in her face or anything that makes you feel like she's going to regret this. Mm-hmm. Because at the moment, she doesn't. Yeah. At the moment, she, she looks past him because he's beneath her, because she has money and he has nothing and he's no one. And then she realizes a week in or a few weeks in after they get you know, she's read his letters that he's been writing Eliza that, that no, she actually loves him. And so when she's doing your toast, we see the rewind and I mean, physical rewind of everything. And then that amazing, incredible rap that she does is, I mean, (laughs) that's very impressive. That production wise is just so well done, so beautifully crafted and so heartbreaking at the same time. Because at, at least I have his eyes in my life. It just ends on such the perfect note of heartbreak and hopeful, hopefulness and with some silver lining, right? Because we don't want to be heartbroken yet. Not right. yet. Sure. There's, there's time for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of time for that, obviously. Anyway, there's more, but I'm going to stop. No, and just to build on what you're talking about with uh, Angelica, like I love that even as the story progresses later on 
that refrain, that pitch and tone and, and rhyming couplet that, that they set up in, in that surprising song, they keep that so that as the story progresses, you are immediately, instantly brought back to where her emotional state really is and what she's yeah. living with. Um, and that's really smartly done through the, through that, through the use of the pitch and the rhyming style to, to help identify not just her as a character, but her story specifically um, is right there within just that pitch and, and word choice. Um, it's really genius writing, man. Good point. Yeah. And to build on what you're talking about, like this is a stage, this is a performance and there's a, that means a lot of things. I think you covered really well the, uh, the the stage setup and the brilliance of using the lighting and the stage atmosphere and the doors and entries and exits and um, the levels to it. Uh, but then on top of that, whenever you're in a, in a live performance, you know, as an actor, you have to shift that as well. If you're in a film, well, if the camera's not on you, you might be able to phone it in a bit or uh, maybe even if it is on you, you're like, ah, I need another take, <laughs> right? Obviously, you don't get that option in a live performance, uh, which is why they rehearse for, you know, one or two months beforehand, depending on the the grandiosity of the, of the play. And it comes with a lot of things, uh, a lot of consequences for that. Like moments are still happening while you're in transition. Like you said, you don't get to choose where someone looks at on on a stage like you can do your best to direct their attention through lighting and blocking but even within that uh there's still going to be moments where you you don't really get to pick and so whenever there's a transition happening moments are still happening even though they're in transition between songs um so for instance mm. you don't just exit you don't just walk off the stage. Well, my part's done. I'm gone. Uh, you continue to play in the sandbox. So like when the women finish singing Mind at Work and they're exiting, they're laughing. They're looking back. They're still playing with all the other actors on stage. They're still providing you something, an atmosphere, something to look at. They're still helping to set the tone and create the illusion, you know, that this is a life, there's things happening. And so they never let their guard down until they're well off stage. And that's, you know, just good performance as being a good uh, actor to the, all your other cast members. And King George, one of the things I really love. I'm so glad you bring that up. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> so glad I was just going to say. Jonathan Groff blew me away i had no idea that was him i mean granted he's in a wig and i already struggle with uh facial recognition um i am mm. the anti-ai software of recognizing faces uh, <laughs> <laughs> well put. but i i love so many things about the casting decisions here i'm pretty sure no white people are good people <laughs> in this like anyone you think <laughs> could be oh he's white yeah. i think he's on our site nope that dude's a dick <laughs> like, yeah, yep, that's it yep, yep. i love that but i think it reinforces something that i really deeply believe um which is funny because on, in film, sometimes racial casting can really matter. Like if you're trying to depict a family on stage, it would be really weird to have like two white parents and like an Asian kid. You're just going to be like, oh, what's happening in this in their life? Are they going to address this? Was he adopted? Like it pulls you out of a movie, but in a stage, it really doesn't matter. You can get away with so much more. So cast however the hell you want, man. And I'm not even talking about historical accuracy. They could make this into a movie with all the same actors and it still doesn't matter. Like if they turn it into a straight drama, I literally wouldn't care because 
technically speaking, like race is a social construct, right? It's not something that in our genetic code really makes up that much. It's the difference between red hair and, and brown hair. It's the difference between blue eyes and brown eyes. Like there's, it's insignificant. It's only socially constructed to, to matter. And so if you're going to, you know, play historical figures, I don't think it really matters. I think it will help to some degree if you cast accurately, especially if it matters within the context of the story as again, race is a social construct. So if you're telling a story where that's a social issue, it definitely makes way more sense. But honestly, I personally wouldn't care if someone literally played a straight up like, yeah, we're going to tell a drama of Hamilton. And of course, he's an Asian. Like, I, I just don't really care. Like, You're not going to offend me. I just want the rest of his family to be Asian as well, because family members do look alike. Um to a large degree. And so, you know, making that make sense within the, within the film is what I would kind of care more about, <laughs> but yeah, to that end, but even less so, uh, in a, in a stage play, you can get away with all that stuff in a stage play because especially a musical, because we're already so heavily in the mode of suspension of disbelief that it doesn't matter if within the same family, like you have, whatever you know mixed races and you know who cares that george washington's black and bald when every single image that i've ever seen of george washington is white with the wig with the powdered wig like i don't really care yeah, yeah. because i've never yeah. seen an actor be more george washington than chris jackson <laughs> holy dude, crap dude crushes it right crushes <laughs> it like owns it every step of the way and by the i don't know the 60 seconds in of watching you know george washington i'm just like yeah, of course. Us, George Washington's always been George. black and bald, right? Yeah, <laughs> Am I wrong yeah. about this? <laughs> he is so damn good. And so I, I love that, you know, that we have all the diversity, of course, and that probably really helped, you know, with casting choices, you know, with, you know, music that's hip hop. It's probably a lot easier to find someone uh, who's a minority that, you know, is able to rap a lot better than, you know, trying to get Jonathan Groff to rap. Um, I have no idea if he can <laughs> rap or not, but uh, we didn't he have, he might, he <laughs> might be able to, I mean, after watching him do this, I'm like, I'm never doubting his, his ability ever again, but he steps on stage and he does something that for me so incredibly hard, which is he never breaks. Not for one mm -hmm. second. He's playing a part of a king. Um, and so his his movement is minimal. He's very kingly, um, almost to the point of psychopathy, right? He he seems like a psychopath up there. And yeah. he never spitting like... Spitting and drooling. Spitting and drooling. Yeah. But he never corrects it. Because to do yeah. that, he would have to break the illusion of being a king. And he and would have control and in, and in control. Yeah. Like everything is exactly as I want it. And to some degree, he wouldn't even have to do much. Right. He would have to like bite his lip to get some of that, that spittle off his lip. And he, he refuses. I'm not going to break it. Not for a second. It's awesome. It's a yeah, good point. Perfect. And it's so tempting as a human being to not touch your face and to not part your hair and uh, not scratch your, your eye. And that's already going, you know, for any actor. Um, but then to absolutely have to use your stillness as a part of your character the way he does. Because I'm sure some of these other actors are able to kind of steal a moment here and there. Like, oh, my my arm itches. And so whenever I do this move, I'm going to bring my arm a little bit closer to my, my rib cage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it doesn't. And 
he is just absolutely owning the stage in that moment. Um, and it's, it's absolutely beautiful. One of the things I really like going back to a uh, wardrobe was his white cape, beautiful choice. Not just because, you know, it, you know, it's, it, it pops on the stage in, in a, you know, luxurious way in, in contrast to much of the other actors, you know, that have these, uh, hard linens, these hard cottons. He has this very plush, you know, color, which is very kingly of course, but also it works so well whenever they have the light so dark, the white reflects very brilliantly so that whenever he does move that little shoulder pop, you can yeah. see it. It's so, so small. What he's doing is so small but it pops so well because of the color choice that they made on his uh, wardrobe and the, and the way they lit it. And so when that moment happens, the audience cracks up because he's like, yeah. you know, there's something to a white guy kind of popping a little bit. And then the, the attitude of this King um, and, and in tune with what he's, you know, discussing on stage, it just plays all perfectly. And if you don't see it, if you don't see exactly what he's doing there, it's not going to get that laugh. It's not going to get that, you know, a bit of joy because he has comic relief, which is something to be really, really funny to going back to the, the, the racial stuff. Because if you go back a hundred years, you know, vaudeville and uh, I'm going to completely botch. I'm forgetting what it's called, but minstrel shows, right. Where white people dressed up in blackface uh, and kind of made these, ridiculous they were just there for comedy and so i really like that you know they kind of flipped it on us here and like no we're gonna use the white guy for comedy he's gonna be our our yeah. on stage you know minstrel show to you know a light degree i don't they weren't obviously hammering that because he was you know still a king yeah but it was beautiful like it was it was really there's a lot of tones that are very light and played with throughout the film um that are great uh, and I love the use of, you know, a white guy as King George and we're, we're having this rebellion that's filled with, you know, uh, black and people of color and in the rebellion against the white guy, like it's, it's genius and it's fun and it's lighthearted. Um, and it's not to be, you know, stressed over. Yeah. There's it's. Yeah. Actually, it, um, Lin-Manuel talked about when they performed in England and Prince Harry came to the performance. He said he felt awkward. He felt awkward, but they didn't care like you know because they're related yeah. obviously yeah um he's like his great great grandfather great 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 grandfather i don't know something like that but he thought it was he was just he, so when he good. saw prince harry laughing in the audience he's like okay uh, we're, we're cool it's all good <laughs> but that was a so concern good. i wouldn't have even thought of that i know right uh, i always so love good. on fourth of july someone posts like a a picture from whoever some you know queen elizabeth or king henry or whoever king george and they're like happy uh happy tra traitors day uh happy treasonous day you traitors and like or some you know they just kind of make <laughs> yeah. fun of because that's what we are you know um yeah so there's so yeah. much smart things uh so many so many smart things that they're doing in this uh that you know just deserves you know notice for sure and i barely made any notes at all like i have not even 15 lines of notes and it just pops out it, it screams for it and i think if i were to ever need to shoot a stage play i would heavily reference this thing because they obviously did one live show and i would assume they did more shows that day or maybe that week where they just were able to get on stage with the cameraman uh, to actually grab coverage so that oh we're not going to disrupt the show but we also want this close up of Hamilton and of 
um, whoever, because some of those lenses felt pretty wide, but maybe they were, maybe they were all just sitting yeah. in the, in the crowd in the audience. I have no idea. Um, I no, they did multiple performances and, and stuff to get multiple angles and, and all that stuff. So, nice. so I, like there were, there were a couple, uh, I think like the bigger, wider ones were when they had an audience, but there are several that they didn't have an audience. Cause you want that, right? Mm-hmm. You want the live audience reaction. That's a big part of feeling like you're yeah. as a viewer at home in the theaters, also feeling the, the ambience of the, of the audience themselves. Yeah. Nice. But to be, to be clear also, like the rehearsal wasn't for them. The rehearsal was for the crew mm. was for like the, 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 the camera crew. Cause like, uh, I, I've, I, I've seen, um, a couple of interviews where they asked them about like, you know, was you, were you nervous? Cause you're being filmed for, you know, whatever. And actually Chris Washington said, no, we've done this a thousand times just cause you put a camera in front of us doesn't mean that it's any more nerve wracking. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's exactly the same. So for them, it's just another day at the office, but you know, to know where the camera should be or whatever, or if there was, it might've been some things where like, if they wanted to be very specific, like, okay, normally you would look out at the crowd, but the camera is going to be coming from the left. And so you want to make sure you look there, mm-hmm. you know, maybe there was some stuff like that, but for the most part, it was mostly for the, the actual camera crew. But I love that you bring up the, the race card there. Cause I, I think there's a, obviously a massive theme throughout this whole thing. It was purposefully cast all, all uh, a minority, all, if you want to say black, but there are, uh, I think, um, several Hispanic uh, folks in this too, but all minority cast or 99% minority cast, obviously from, uh, I think there's like one other white guy in the actual like mm-hmm. dance crew or whatever, but for the most part, uh, that, that was obviously purposeful, like you mentioned, but there are other things like within the actual storytelling and the writing that he did. So, for example, with Jefferson, like Jefferson was a, a Southern slave owner. Mm-hmm. Like let's, let's be real. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when he's debating, uh, Hamilton in the Senate, you know, about, uh, fiscal policy and stuff. And, and he's saying, Oh, you know, you just want to tax the South because you want our money and all this stuff. Cause we're wealthy. And, and, uh, uh, Hamilton says, we know who's doing the planning, you know, addressing the fact that yeah, you're fine in the South because you don't pay for your labor, right? Yeah. Um, that's, you well, know, Jefferson that's, that's was in Virginia, I mean, but yeah, I understand your point. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but it was still, he was still a slave owner. Like, it wasn't part of the, the, the South, if you want right. to call it yeah, at yeah. the time. <laughs> I mean, he's had, he's had children with mm-hmm. his slaves. So, Sally Hemings. Um, yeah. but then also addressing the, like, he, there are things that he doesn't have to address, but he purposely does, like, Oh, oh, John Lawrence wanting to start the first black battalion, mm. right? And never getting to because he's, he gets killed after the war ends. Yeah. Uh, and that being like a specific thing that they, not only do they call it out, does, does John Lawrence character, Anthony Ramos, not only did he call that out in the song that he wants us to do that, but they reference it again. And then when he's killed, like other people get killed, but when he's killed, he stands there under the spotlight and and address oh that was such a moving part for me because he's dead in the spotlight addressing the crowd saying that he he didn't get a chance to do it and then he looks over at hamilton and hamilton looks back at him while he's talking to eliza while eliza's you know he's finding out it's just these those little things right that and then just two more things and then i'll and then i'll stop actually just one more thing 
the one other really cool thing. And if you don't know, if you don't know to notice it, you will miss it. At the end, when Eliza is saying all the things that she did, right, after Hamilton died, where she said she, she spoke out against slavery. Uh, or she says she tell she uh, something about the Washington Mon- Monument. She mm-hmm. establishes the Washington Monument, and he says it, she tells my story. And then she says I spoke out against slavery. You see him bow his head mm-hmm. in disgust because he was a slave owner himself. So the next time you watch it, watch that mm-hmm. he. He's oh yeah, like, yeah, Jefferson. He's like, yeah, or, uh, not no, no, no. Jefferson, uh, Hamil- uh, Washington. Washington. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. He's right. like. You know, and he like just mm-hmm. breaks. So you you would notice, but a lot of people wouldn't. Yeah. Things like that are called out through throughout the entire play to ref to reestablish the fact that this is not just a fight for a country. This is also a fight for humanity, right? For for the underdog, for the the repressed, right? And telling that's that narrative through a sl- a slave owning era mm-hmm. is very difficult to do. Yeah, right? Because I and think it's not they just also, you cast it. Yeah, I think they also kind of gloss over uh Hamilton played a role in some like slave trading. Uh I think earlier yeah. in his life. I don't know how old he was, but and I think that's fine like Yeah, I think that's when he was like in the Caribbean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Still. And when he was like doing books, mm-hmm. taking book yeah. the books and stuff like yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and and I think that's fine. I and I like that you brought that up. Like it is a very, you know, difficult thing to have because on the one hand, you know, you have all these men who are, you know, fighting for freedom and then making inequality, you know, within their own home, like the, you know, how women are treated and how, you know, black people are treated and, you know, just slave owning in general. Um, That's a really difficult, difficult conversation to have, but I really do appreciate that they still told the story faithfully while acknowledging those things and not letting those things bar them from, you know, partaking in this story. Uh, that's a really hard line to walk because I can only imagine how conflicted, you know, so many of the black community, you know, feel living in a country that has such a terrible history that still, you know, echoes even in, you know, 2021. And I mean, obviously, obviously, yeah, last week, still, still going, still improving. And but I also think that's kind of the beauty of what this movie, uh, this show touches on. This was such a milestone in humanity's history, because even though they weren't the perfect vessels, uh, they still established something that allowed for the progress, you know, that the world has seen. Slavery has been, you know, a, a blight on mankind for, you know, thousands of years and finally because of them because of what they did it you know as inhumane and as evil some of their aspects were you know they still created an avenue uh for freedom and it's weird some of the double speak that they that they say like both of them uh washington and jefferson on the one hand had slaves on the other hand like i abhor this like well bro (laughs) yeah yeah what what the hell have your cake and eat it too. Yeah, exactly. And so, I guess you can. Yeah, you can start well for a time. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's 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 a tricky thing to do. But I appreciated that they acknowledged it without letting it completely sour. You know, some of the other aspects of that story. The other brilliance of of this to me, and I'm just gonna. I mean, I have no negative for it. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. But the other brilliance to of this to me is 
is making Burr the narrator. Yeah. Um, that's think about that. Like, how do you make the guy who kills the main, like, <laughs> who kills the quote unquote hero, uh-huh. if you want to call him, how do you make that guy, like, how do you make the audience feel for that guy? Well, let's start out by introducing you to the guy first. I'm the damn fool that shot him. He was the first one you see, we see on stage. And then he's the, and then we find out, oh, in the first song, oh, that, that MFR shoots him. Wait a minute. Okay. And then throughout the whole thing, you're like, wait a minute, why they're, they're kind of friends. Like he, Hamilton looks up to him, you know, whatever. And then throughout the whole thing, just the whole character development is just brilliant. And so just, yeah, making him the narrator is just like a great, a great concept, a great idea to draw you in to him as a character. Great point. Such a good point. Because even if most of us who sit down to watch this, because even I, before, you know, knowing anything about this musical, I knew about Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr and the duel. I didn't know, I could not have told you why they dueled, um, but I could have told you their names and that that happened. But for anybody, maybe younger people or maybe people who just don't really care, um, setting that foreshadowing right at this beginning makes you look so much closer at the relationship for the rest of the, the show. And great point. God, it's great point. just yeah. a great way to cue that up. That set up uh, in the first minute <laughs> of the play, you know, pays off, uh, you know, really yeah. beautifully. Yeah. No, good way to really good point on that. Yeah. Nice. I have nothing left to add. I, I believe um, I stretched every single one of my notes to their max. <laughs> <laughs> So who would you identify yourself with more Burr, the wait for it guy or Hamilton, the there's a million things I haven't done, but just you wait. Oh, man, I would probably identify more with. uh, uh, Or does it change? Yeah, it kind of shifts because I I absolutely recognize and identify a lot with uh, Hamilton coming from obscurity and having no silver spoon in his mouth and having to, you know, work for everything you get. Like I heavily identify with that, but I'm not nearly as confident and outgoing as he was. Like he was fighting for his chance. Uh, And I wouldn't say I've ever been like fighting for my chance. I, I am at the same time waiting for my moment and just working on myself and continually uh, trying to get better. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, What about you? Hamilton. Yeah, for sure. But even though, even if I don't know what I'm working for, working toward, I always have to be like, I have to have something. Yeah. If I don't have something, I'm, a, I'm, I'm effing lost, man. And I'm depressed. And, but that doesn't, I, I think it, it really is like not a day to day thing, but maybe a a month to month or week to week thing. I think sometimes I just don't want to do anything. Um, or I want it to come to me, you know? And not to say that that Burr didn't do anything. He totally did. I'm, I'm just saying like, you know, he's waiting for his shot. Like they, they continually address that. And, um, but I think I identify more so with Hamilton, but I like you am not as outgoing as he is. I just like always have to be working. Now, the thing about Hamilton, or at least the way that they portray him in this is that he was always working towards one thing, right? Always working to, well, and that one thing would change, but a little bit, like he wanted to, he wanted to be, you know, like lead an army, 
right? He wanted to fight. And then that changed after the fighting where he wanted to, I don't think he ever said that he wanted to be president, but anyway, Mm. but he was always working towards uh, the independence of the country. And then when that ended working towards something else. So he had his thing, his things, but it was always, everything he did was so pointed and focused and, and until it was done, there was nothing else. I'm not quite like that. I mean, I'm, I'm like that, but you know, I look at like other, other people that are so freaking driven that it's just, it's just like mind blowing. Like I can't wrap my mind. Elon Musk, let's just use him. Like it's, it's mind blowing how someone can do so much and with, with the same amount of time that I have, you know, but I'm, so I'm not to that, but yeah, I would say Hamilton today, but maybe next week I'll say Burr. No. <laughs> and I, I, it's a, it's an interesting question that like I, I kind of have asked myself a few times because I watched an interview of uh, Lin Manuel where he said he said that you know he he used to think that he he was more Hamilton, but since finishing Hamilton, he he feels like he's more Burr, which is interesting, interesting for a guy who is you know so creative and has written so much. I mean, he did the Moana soundtrack. He he did uh, In the Heights before before Hamilton, but then the musical movie is coming mm-hmm. out next year. It's supposed to come out this year. Um, and then he's done other things too, but it's interesting. Someone who's done so much could feel like they're waiting. Yeah. That kind of, that kind of makes me feel a little bit better if I feel like that, you know? It's true. I mean, waiting probably has a lot of advantages after you've made Hamilton. Like, <laughs> I totally agree. Good job. People are, Good people job. are coming <laughs> to you for things and now. Well said. Kinda, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, good answer. Nice. Um, what are you going to recommend this week? Yeah, so this week, uh, you know, I'm going to stick with the music. So the only other, really, the only other musical movie that I kind of can get behind that I I enjoyed and I haven't seen it in a, in a long time. So you know, recommending it might not be. It's, it's not my favorite thing in the world, but I did enjoy some amazing things they did to make it. Is Les Mis mm. the the film from 2012? Uh, because they sang live and then, uh, they recorded the orchestra to them singing live after the fact. So all these pushes and pulls and tempos and stuff like that, that's, that's real. They're playing to the, the audio of the vocal. And I just thought that like, you know, that is, that is a massive effort to do something real that won't take me out of the moment. And I'm going to honor that uh in that film so that's what i recommend Ooh, nice one yeah yeah i was actually looking at that the other day and it runs so long i was almost gonna hit play on it uh and i was just like because oh, i think it was a, really late at night and i was like i just i'm not gonna have time to to sit through it suggestion yeah, yeah. nice I'm going to recommend a tv show on apple tv plus if you have it uh it's called little voice it's made by uh created by sarah Bareilles. Um, I'm probably mispronouncing her name, but uh, she's an incredible Barry writer. Alice? What is it? Oh, yeah. Sarah Barry Alice? Barry Alice. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, she created it. She does all the songwriting in it, and it's about uh, set in wow. New York, which I'm already a sucker for anything set in New York. I love It's my favorite city. And so anything that takes place in New York that's shot 
even you know modestly well i'm probably gonna watch it even if i dislike the story uh, but in this case i like the story the the music is you know okay it gets really really good about the midpoint the lead actor i think she's great i love her and her brother and her brother is uh, and I think this fits really well with Hamilton because her brother loves Hamilton and he's like this uh, Broadway aficionado and they keep reenacting parts of Hamilton uh, throughout the show. Uh, and it's adorable. Um, oh, I want to watch it's it. It's so fun. I want to watch it's it. It's really fun. Um, so yeah, check that out. You know, if you can handle a little bit of cheese, I think it'll be worth it. Is it, is it streaming? Or yeah, it's it? streaming on Apple TV plus. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So do uh, that. And of course you'll be able to find trailers for that stuff in the show notes um but this week we have a short spotlight because we were doing an episode on hip-hop effectively uh, i wanted to insert one of my recent favorite uh, uh rappers out of houston man i love this dude uh there's a i'm gonna insert a music video called juice by toby uh Nuigwe. i'm probably mispronouncing the hell out of that um and it features paul wall toby is like oh wow absolutely incredible because he's maintaining uh this houston vibe if you didn't grow up listening to houston hip-hop like uh Lil kiki screwed up click fat pat um swisher house like all that stuff then you may not really appreciate how good toby is at what he's doing because he's still got this very good southern vibe um, while also uh, doing something new to it that to me reminds me of like a gil scott heron um it's just brilliant and is nice. lyrically he's destroying it and to be able to do that and also his music videos are just phenomenal f with their minimalism it's like a it's it's very artistic and maybe if you don't watch a lot of hip-hop you wouldn't expect something like this uh but it's he just kills it and then to also bring in paul wall who's like you know kind of old hat you know houston at this point yeah it's great and they even make this very sly chameleon air reference uh it's it's fantastic so go watch the short spotlight this week i promise you won't regret it um and if you do then you know leave a comment <laughs> and say why you're wrong it. um <laughs> and so stay tuned next week we're going to get to some uh, rec uh not recommendations uh, requests and starting with soul that's a new animation from pixar that's on disney plus uh, we're going to cover that next week so stay tuned for that and don't forget to subscribe review us on itunes apparently so i went through spotify during the christmas break and i don't think there's a way to actually rate and review uh, podcast on spotify so i've i've been asking our spotifyers Lame. to do that and they're probably like bro we can't do it i'm sorry we tried but we can't do it because that's how i envision all of our spotify listeners i don't know well the problem is you're you're assuming that people are still listening to us at this that's point. a good point yeah that's <laughs> we're gonna invert this next week and we're gonna spend an yeah. hour telling you why you subscribe and review and then yeah. like 60 seconds discussing <laughs> and then <soul>. apologize yeah. <laughs> for it <laughs> well done and if you want to leave a comment on this episode uh you can do that at the pestlepodcast.com slash hamilton and our quote of the day is from george washington which is, I, this is such a timely quote wow no punishment no punishment in my opinion is too great for the man who can build his greatness upon his country's ruin interesting I, that's yeah. such a timely quote well done i have no idea why but yeah thanks <laughs> we know exactly why yeah we're we're 
like six days after insanity, five or six days after the insanity in Washington. But I think that really could apply to so many politicians. Um, but of course, yeah. you know, recently it's none bigger could never be more apropos than what we witnessed uh, re recently. So, yeah, Hope hopefully that was when we say six days from it, hopefully that nothing it, else that happens. means that nothing else is going to happen. But we've still got yeah. another nine days until until the inauguration. Yeah. So who who knows? But if anyone out there, you know, listening is is angry or hurt, listen. I understand. We understand. You know, it, nothing is perfect in this country or in this world, and we understand and we feel your pain. Um, but physical physical violence is never the answer. Marching is fine. Protesting is fine. That is all your right as an American. But, uh, you know, anything over and above that just has to be like on either side, vandalism, violence, nothing is, is that that's the kind of stuff that just cannot happen. So just, just please cry in your pillow or something. I don't know. Get drunk or I don't know, whatever, but just do drugs. Hell, I don't care, but just don't do that. You know, anyway, great quote. Thanks, man. Great quote. <laughs> but I won't do that. <laughs> With that quote from Meatloaf, we're going to sign off. <laughs> now we've just lost all of our <laughs> listeners. Sorry about that. Oh, God. Uh, anyway, like Wes said, thank you guys so much for listening. This was a blast, man. Thank you for all your insight on, on this. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Great. Uh, make sure to subscribe and review us on, on iTunes or any whatever platform besides Spotify that you're on. And until next time, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. Mm -hmm.